welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. Delivering in-depth interviews, expeditions and adventures. Be sure to check us out on social media and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This week's guest is expedition leader James Dyer. Well, here we are, finally releasing another episode. Um, do apologise for the long, unplanned hiatus. Um, the same day the Denali plan went live, um, uh, something came up, and uh, it's still not over, so I can't really talk about it too much, but it's nothing too major. It's just made me a full-time, seven-day-a-week dad. So, um, so absolutely loving it. But it does mean that something's about to fall off the radar. Things about to change. Denali definitely isn't happening in 2023, but it will be happening someday. Watch this space. Um, things and the way I adventure, the way I do things about to change. But thankfully, we've got a bit of a spell where I can get some more work done. So the next two episodes, James Dyer and next uh, and the next one will be Laura Bingham. I've recorded them a while ago. It's just taken me so long to, to get around to editing them and, and putting them up. So they will be out uh, quite quickly, one after the other. And then I've already started recording the next wave of recordings. And I've had a long time to think about the way I do things. So hopefully you enjoy the future episodes. They will start at the beginning of October on a fortnightly release. But enough about me. We've got James Dyer on the show. And we are going to be chatting with him. Just a quite a, kind of a relaxed conversation about lots of the different things he's achieved and where he's been to and his, his views on expeditions and adventure. I know you're going to love it. So sit back, grab a drink. If you're driving, don't grab anything. Keep hold of the steering wheel and let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy it. James, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Honestly, it's, um, you're one of my uh, LinkedIn contacts. And yeah, it just it seemed like a really obvious ask because of all the experience you've got so uh, it'll be uh, really fun to dive into it, i think but um you know first question really is as a youngster in london you said that fishing was the start of the outdoors for you but at what point did bigger adventures start for you yeah so i think fishing was the looking back fishing was the access i suppose initially that yeah that and an interest in in nature and that that helped in terms of the big trips so probably not until my early 20s. Um, so somewhere around, somewhere around about 16, I, I went to North Wales for the first time, climbed a mountain with the cadets, and that sort of you know, sparked an interest and a hobby, I suppose, or the idea of a hobby. And then at 19, I, I went to Spain with some friends, and it made me realise I could travel. Um, quite easily and I quite liked it and it gave me something and I think though all those things sort of collided in my mid in my early 20s I suppose to think about I'd like to see the world I'd like to explore it how do I go about doing it and how do I get on it and how do I how do I find the world really I suppose so it's kind of like a collection of uh, stepping stones that all amounted to that that fire burning away 
Yeah, I suppose so. And I think sometimes you don't recognise it at the time. It's only in retrospect that you look back at, at the last 20 years and go, well, actually, you know, those were important markers. It was just a desire, uh, I think, to make it happen. And then when I realised I could make things happen, um, you know, so I'd applied, actually, I applied to go on Operation Rally, which was, uh, which is, well, still exists, Rally International now, but I'd applied to go on one of their trips and they wanted £3,000 to go on a trip for sort of three months to, to, to Ghana in Africa. And I, and I was, I was earning, God blimey, a, a, a tiny amount of money doing a bit of door work or, or, or what have you in London. And, and, and the idea of raising 3000 pounds, this is like when I was 20, 21, the idea of raising 3000 pounds was like an enormous unachievable felt like that. And then a few years later, I managed to raise enough money to go on, on an expedition. I was like, Oh, you can do it. And then each of those things makes that, makes that happen, I suppose. But they're all, yeah, they're all stepping stones. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of kind of the same as well. I can I can relate to you there. Like there was no specific, um, you know. I I always tell you know my listeners, you know, that there was in twenty seventeen. I was officially bitten by the travel bug. But really, if you look back, I was fortunate enough to have a couple of skiing holidays, and I was always out on the bike, cycling around as a kid. And you know, like, and you go if you look back, there's lots of really small outdoorsy things that I guess have given that foundation for for it just to be activated later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, you know, I look back and I consumed um, nature books and I consumed um, adventure books when I was a kid. And all of those things must have must have collided in my thinking um, and, and somehow cut, luckily enough for me, I think, destiny or whatever you want to call it, cut through the noise of either what was a inverted commas proper job or um, what I started to try and do, which was... Uh, to become a, I wanted to become a stunt performer and an actor and things like that. But I think that was all part of that wanting to escape and wanting to do something exciting. And then somehow in my early twenties, it sort of collided and came together and, and has, has given me 20 years of a career. Like, you know, unbelievably. Which area, you know, here at home, do you think has challenged you the most and given you the most rewards? So North, North Wales is definitely a place I've missed uh, there's certain parts of North Wales that I've missed during the whole of this lockdown. I haven't been to Wales now for over, over. well, it must be nearly two years now, right? You know, at least, you know, because I, I was away on expedition in 2019 um, and then didn't go, oh, no, I did go to briefly, briefly, uh, beginning of last year, I was in North Wales. Um, for the, for the, um, so that, but I do love North Wales. I love, I love it's sort of the, the element of rawness about being in the hills in North Wales. Um, I, I do love Scotland and the Scottish Highlands, particularly in winter. Um, I like that, I like, and that's that remoteness, the wilderness element. Um, the lakes, I haven't done, well, I've done lots in the lakes and I've worked a lot in the lakes. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a strange one. It's just strange. And, and now getting to know Dartmoor more, better, having lived down here for a, for, for a year or so, um, getting to know that better is, is finding really interesting places. We were in, we took the, went for a walk the other day in the, in the most haunted place on Dartmoor, which is this old ancient oak woodland in a little valley. Absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. I can't wait to, well, that was still, still winter conditions, but or winter plumage, I should say. Um, I'm waiting to go back when the, when the leaves are out on the trees. It'll be, it'll be beautiful. Um, but it's cha- challenging. I don't know. I like them all. I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit of a, everything's an experience to me, which is why I've never become a, a, a like a, 
a, a desert expert or a just do jungles or just do that. I, you know, I want to I want to experience it all. Uh, I've always wanted to do that, um, but I, think, I like the raw, there is a rawness about Wales, but there is something about Scotland that is um, that is wilderness, the closest to in the UK really. So, so you can get some really wild places here on Dartmoor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned wind conditions there in in Scotland. I was wondering, you know, for someone who has been on so many expeditions across different climates, do you have a preference for climate and a preference over summer or winter? Or do you can just dive straight through the middle and you just got a huge appreciation for everything? I, I, I agree. That last part, the, the huge appreciation for all of it, I, I, I think it's a privilege. Uh, I take it as a privilege to a certain extent uh, of being able to, to have done what I've done in the last 20 years and what I hope to do in the future. Um, the, 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 you know, being able to travel the world and see it and experience it and get to know people. Like, I mean, yeah, my contact book on my phone has got, you know, I've had contacts all through lockdown, people in Morocco, people on, in, in Tanzania, people in, you know, people in Peru and, uh, you know, all these people I know that, I, you know, I know their family, they know my, like, like they know about my family, we can talk, we can have a conversation. I, I find that really like, a, you know, an amazing part of the life that I've been, I've, I've been able to live, but definitely feel there's a privilege in, in travel. And I said, I've always wanted to just, um, I've always wanted to experience as much as I possibly can to try and shove as many experiences into me as possible. Um, but in, ter- in, in terms of environments, I do like the Arctic. I do like the Arctic, the, the, the quietness and the stillness of, of places like Svalbard, you know, it's definitely one of my favorite places. But also, on the other hand, I love the, I love the jungle because it's something I dreamt about from a very young age of going to the jungle and being in a jungle. Um, and after a while, you get used to it. You get used to the heat and the oppression and the you know the the fact you don't see the sky very often and everything wants to everything wants to have a nibble in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, the quote I heard is that everything is out there. Everything that lives in a jungle is designed to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not designed to kill you, but it definitely makes life hard. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's that's one thing that puts me off the jungle is just, you know, like at least with cold sort of mountains and the desire for that in the Arctic, you're not worrying about parasites and yeah. and wildlife. Well, I mean, except for polar bears, say, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're not you're not worrying about l- a huge amount of really small things that could seriously mess you up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's those small things that keep, they, they sort of keep you on your toes, I suppose, in jungle environments. They, you know. You're constantly having to be aware of your surroundings, having to be, aware, you know, you don't have to walk around looking two foot in front of you in case there's a snake, because it's relatively rare. But, um, you know, the snake would have seen and heard you a long way before you see and hear it. Um, but, uh, well, most snakes anyway. Um, and, yeah, there is, but, but I think you get, you do get used to it. You know, as long as you, again, it's about knowing what you're, what you're expecting to when you before you go you know doing that planning and the preparation about you know being aware of what you're looking for for a bot fly bite or a, you know though they're a bit of a mark of uh, um the kudos these days you know come back with a bot fly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you've not done a jungle expedition if you haven't come back with a butterfly bite yeah, yeah you haven't got a badge <laughs> unless you've uh, you've removed a bot fly from your own body yeah that, that's that <laughs> I mean, you talk about, um, you know, just being privileged to 
to go to all these locations. Is there one place that you know perhaps specifically makes you feel at home, away from home, more than the rest? Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I have thought that before actually, because I've always wondered whether you know I've never really lived for a long period overseas. Um, you know, I've lived in different places in, in in the UK, but I haven't really ever lived for a long period. You know, anywhere overseas. I just wonder whether I whether that's something I'd be interested in doing in living overseas for, for a while. Um, and that's always intrigued me whether I whether I could do that or whether it would or whether it would come up. You know, in my in my life, the opportunity for it to come up. Um, and so I have wondered where where I feel the most at home. And people ask me a lot, like, "What's your favourite country?" And I was like, well, I, I don't know, because I've been to lots of bits of countries, but I haven't been to, I don't know countries in depth. Yeah. But I suppose Morocco, I know Morocco the best. I've travelled in Morocco the most um, in the last 20 years, probably every year at some point, for some, whether it's a commercial expedition or a personal expedition or a trip to go and train guides or, you know, I worked for a company through uh, the winters back in mid-2000s just doing mountain bike trips in the south you know, things like that. So I've seen all over Morocco. Um, so I do feel very much at home in Morocco, but, you know, in the sense of like I can, you know, I understand it and I know it, but nowhere necessarily stands out. As, you know, I suppose Canada has, has as well, and that's really un, unadventurous place necessarily. It's not an unadventurous place, it's a stunning place. But, um, you know, I, I, as, we went on, I went on an expedition in 2009 to Canada and my wife now was on that expedition um as the medic and um when we got back she was like i would turn around and go back on to get back on the plane and go back there and i was like yeah i could i could see myself living in canada for a while for example but um but that's uh yeah uh, so i haven't really found you know i like also too what i've found recently is i like cities i never thought i would do that <laughs> Interesting. Like, Urban well, jungles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've done some city breaks, you know, as you do, like Rome, and then friends in New York, and I've done some Oh, work God, here. Rome is beautiful, though. Yeah. Like, what a place to go to and fall in love with cities. That and Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh's lovely. And I, and I just think, you know, there are, there are places in, I know it's not adventure <laughs> in terms of this podcast, but, but yeah, getting to, you know, having grown up in London and spent most of my adult life trying not to live in London, you know, <laughs> you back, but... You know, and I spent lots of time out of London. Um, I am 100% a Londoner. Um, I wouldn't thought I would like cities, but actually, New York is is you know, there's loads of stuff in New York. It's a lovely, beautiful place, and you know, albeit that it is a smelly, horrible city. <laughs> and Rome, yeah, Rome, lovely. Um, you know, and we were in. Where, where did we go? Um, we went on holiday two years ago. Went to went back to where actually we were in Spain, and I actually spent we spent some time actually exploring. Um, Malaga and I just I'd never really explored Malaga you normally you just flew in there didn't you like you fly in but Malaga is where Picasso was born there's Picasso you know the Picasso museums there's a there's a castle there's some Roman ruins you know it's far more to it than you than you think so yeah I cities have also been interesting to, to explore sort of stealing a bit of your heart are they <laughs> well, maybe maybe <laughs> So actually, let's backtrack just a little bit to Morocco, actually, up into the Atlas Mountains. Sometimes on this show, what we do is we bring people on to talk about, you know, an expedition specific, you know, journey that they've done. So what's a winter ascent of Mount Tubical like? 
Um, so it's very, very, very accessible, actually, that, uh, to Cal. Um, you know, it's it's a stunning mountain, and, and over the years, it's been it's been quite heavily trekked, I suppose, because it's one of those places that you can get to relatively easily. Um, it you know, it's only a couple of hours from Marrakesh, and if you you know, Marrakesh is only a couple of hours flight from the UK. So, te- you know, in some ways, you could leave England in the morning, and you could be at the foot in the foothills of the Atlas by the afternoon. Um, oh, wow. So reasonably well, it was a three hour three and a half hour flight to marrakesh um or four hours maybe four hour flight and then sort of two hours from marrakesh hour and a half from marrakesh you can be in be in the foothills of the of the atlas so um I, what i like about the winter compared to the summer is that you know it, it, it can be a little bit more a little bit more quiet um, what i like actually is the spring so if you go in springtime it's still winter conditions on the mountain but the valley is full of blossoms. Oh wow! So it's because they because in the in the in the on the, the trekking route in, you're passing through villages where the main crops are um, walnuts, uh, um, apples, um, those sort of crops. So you have these gardens in the in the villages, the irrigated sort of gardens that have um, have all these, these these blossom trees in it, apple blossoms and and, um, and the walnut trees and and these pinks and whites and you get them all the way out the valley and that and that's lovely like just in that early spring sort of april may time but the summit is still you know winter you know to a certain extent depends on sort of how good the season's been um but springtime in morocco is uh, in in that part of morocco is lovely but the the, the, the ascent up is, is relatively easy it's a nice path um on the way up and and you really do you feel much more immersed in, in, in the country at that point, because you're passing through villages, uh, you're, you're, you're being chased by the children, you've got people to say hello to, you know, the, and then there's a little road, little, you know, the little roadside shops where the, where the guy comes out and you have to get into barter about what you'll buy on the way back down, hoping that you'll probably come back down a different route. So you bypass them, but, you know, because <laughs> you promised to buy carpets <laughs> and a, 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 a I'm going to take them back. <laughs> the actual mountain itself is, is stunning, and and you climb up to a uh, to an old uh, to to a hut to a, to a, like a alpine lodge, a bit like the French alpine huts, and then the next morning, early start, crisp crisp ice, um, gentle ascent, and then into the steep part of the climb. But obviously, then you climb into into altitude, so you get the effect of climbing above three three thousand meters you know, and you get the effects of altitude as well. But then you can push yourself towards the end, knowing that you're going, you know, that, that just over 4,000 metres, you're, you're going to, you, A, the, the views are stunning. Um, on a good day, you can see as far into the Sahara as possible to the south, and then all the way north, almost back to Marrakesh, uh, looking back to the north. And then, you know, and potentially... If you look east, uh, look west, you might be able to see the uh, Atlantic, but um, it's, it's generally fairly cloudy. But uh, not cloudy, but like fairly dusty. Yeah. From the Sahara, but yeah, you know, it's, it's it's just a, it's a lovely lovely place to go and play. If if mountains are your if mountains are the thing you want to do, and, and tick off some really good peaks, trekking peaks, uh, in a really nice way. And actually, you because you you work with the local guides and and and, and you you know you have a local chef with you and, and things like yeah you can well you can't at the moment because they've changed the rules around you have to take a guide now but in the past when i first climbed it actually when i first climbed it with a friend we just pitched up in marrakesh 
jumped on a bus and, and turned up and, and climbed it uh, ourselves. But now nowadays, you since the uh, murder of those two, um, the Danish and the Norwegian students, they've requested that everyone has a guide now. Um, that also helps put money into the local community. I was going to say, it's two birds, one stone, isn't it? Say safety yeah. and supporting the place you're traveling to. So, yeah, absolutely. But also, if you're if you're a you know a relatively experienced mountaineer and things like that, and you want to have a little bit of a challenge, there are other places to go. Then you know, go other places in in, in Morocco, and there are lots of really cool places off the beaten track in uh, in the Atlas Mountains. That, that you know, Magoon, which is the second highest mountain in the Atlas, is, is stunning. Um, and much I imagine quieter. much less tracked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much quieter, much quieter. Uh, and, that, and that's a great, that's a lovely little mountain to, to climb. Um, and again, it's a trekking peak, uh, but in winter conditions, it's nice and challenging, and you have to put your crampons on and, uh, and your ice axe, and the same as you do on, on Tuka, um as well. But yeah, Tuka is, 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 a, is a beautiful mountain. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you said that being an expedition leader is multidisciplined. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, being the Swiss Army knife of the outdoors, what is your favourite part of leading, do you think? I love, all these, the questions all end up being like, it's a multitude of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like the Swiss Army knife analogy. Um, yeah, I've heard that before, but um, because, yeah, I think it is, I think I, I, what I really like is the planning and the dreaming. I like the I like the planning stage, the dreaming of it, the the the, the then into the conceptualization, into the actual, you know, the the, the, the thing coming alive, the expedition coming alive. Um, I think it is the people that, that come on it. I think making making helping people learn about something that you know about is always, you know, a privilege as well. That that being able to pass knowledge on and to help people develop or help people learn something about themselves uh, is wonderful to see. And I think that those things that when they collide, that's what helps you yeah. have a good experience as a leader, you know, but also being challenged and tested as part of it has got to be part, like it's got to be one of the drivers, you know, as much as you want things to go smoothly, you don't, you want, you also want to be challenged and that, you know, physically, mentally, well, I do. I want to be challenged. You know, I don't necessarily want things. I don't want things to go wrong. Someone once asked me why I didn't get that many talks. Um, I didn't do that much public speaking about expeditions, and I said, well, you know, people don't book me. Like, I'm, I, I'm willing to do it um, if you want. And he said, he said something. He goes, I think it probably is you don't have that. You haven't had that many epics. Like, you haven't had any story, like big long disaster <laughs> stories to tell. And I'm like, well, that's because I do all my planning. You know. <laughs> because I don't, you know i haven't I've, I've been touch wood and all the other bits and pieces relatively lucky i haven't had any major incidents. i've had lots of lots of incidents i haven't had any major incidents that have tested in that respect but then lots of lots and lots of other challenges that have come along over the years but maybe they're not story worthy you know in the sense that they're just doing the job and 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 just you overcome them well you could talk on that couldn't you <laughs> You say, yeah. I don't have any ethics because I do my job right. So let's have a chat. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Without one of the big again, it's like, well, actually, I haven't had any ethics because I make sure that, that people are safe all the time. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. And that's why Maybe you should book me, mister. <laughs> so I've got one last question before we dive into some wrap up ones. And I ask all of my guests this 
what is one moment in all of your experience that you would love to relive? Or, uh, is it relive it so that you uh, can do it better? Or, uh, it's how would you interpret it? that? I've had people list moments that they would relive. Uh, I've, I've had one person say uh, that they wouldn't relive it because time is valuable. <laughs> yeah, that's really hard. It, that's really hard. It's a tricky one. I, I'm so privileged to have done so many things in the last 20, 20 years, 25 years. There's a story that I tell about swinging in a hammock um, and that, that sticks in my mind because it was something I dreamt about as a kid and when I first achieved it and first did it, that was that was wonderful. And every time I get in a hammock, it sort of comes back. But I sort of, by, by care, vicariously, I relive that every time I get into a hammock. So that's probably one that I do get to relive. And where is that? Uh, well, originally it was in Thailand, um, but... Um, oh, wow. Well, the first sort of guiding sort of work I did was in Thailand yeah I don't know I don't know there's just so many things there's there's so many moments that I can think of where I have sat where I can almost feel it now sitting it like sat and gone I exhaled breath and gone wow I can't believe I'm doing this like and that comes back time and time again it doesn't matter how it doesn't doesn't that, that bit doesn't get old like and that's why that's why I talk about it being a privilege like I may have worked for it and may have, you know, sacrificed other things and, you know, what have you, and 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 followed this route to the nth degree, and, and possibly selfishly, in many in many ways to, to achieve something I wanted to do with my life, um, or things I want to do with my life. But I do sit and I, you know, you get a welling up inside and a, and a tear in the eye almost, like where you go, God, I actually did it, you know. And I don't know whether we give ourselves enough credit sometimes for that and that pat on the back of self you know because otherwise it feels a bit, it feels a bit selfish it feels it's, you know it feels a bit wrong to do it but actually it happens a fair bit when you sit down quietly sometimes and just reflect or look and go god i can't believe i'm actually here you know i took five minutes on an expedition a few years ago in peru to just wander down from the base camp down to the to the river uh, and i took a little homemade fishing rod and I knew I wasn't going to catch anything, but it was just the moment of just casting out and just looking across the jungle. And I was on my own. And it was just that moment. You get again, you look at it, and you go, I'm here. I'm in the middle of the bloody jungle. Like, you know, I'm a, you know, I've got, I've got barely any qualifications. You know, after, you know, I left school with sort of no qualifications. I didn't follow the traditional route. So, I've, you know, just, and you go, bloody hell, I've done it. You know, I did what I dreamt about when I was five. You know, I remember when I was five, I used to cover myself up in my bed with a, in, in my bed in my bed covers and read books at night with a torch, and books <laughs> about mountaineering trips and you know, Scott in the Antarctic and catching oats, and go and dream about it, imagining I was on a on the side of a mountain. I never knew what a mountain was when I was five, like or, or ten. <laughs> you know, I didn't go. We didn't go. I didn't go to the mountains until I was say sixteen. Was my first time ever in North Wales on a mountain. Um, yeah, and I, 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 you, know, you get this sort of feeling of of, of having achieved something like you know content. Come, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's nice. It's nice to think back at that and go, I'm quite proud of myself for doing that. Actually, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got three wrap-up questions. I'll start with the second one because it's a wonderful segue. But if you could set up a hammock again in one location, where would that be? I, I, I'm going to be really cheesy and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go for a desert island. I would, 
I would love to just I'd, I'd love to do the uh, like the sixty days survival thing on a desert island. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just again testing skills. Test, test what I've learned and just be on a desert island on and, my own. And me. knowing it would end would make it a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not necessarily shipwrecked, but it's those, you know, it's that idea of can you can you survive? I did a solo expedition for the first time. Well, I've done solo expeditions when I was younger, but hadn't done one for a long time. And I, I did one in 2017 uh, in uh, through Spain, Italy and France on a bike. And... Um, uh, following sort of Hannibal's footsteps, Hannibal the, um, with the elephants. Yeah. Historic general. And I followed that solo. And I, you know, the, one of my biggest fear was whether I'd, I'd be all right with myself. Um, and that, you know, that sort of was in, an interesting part of that expedition of trying to see, can I, can I be okay on my own, uh, with my own company? Um, so being on a desert island would be probably where I'd like to string my hammock. Yeah. Uh, and have a, 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 you know, see if I can survive on a desert island would be pretty cool. That'd be fantastic. As long as I had a machete, I'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just like karate chop trees down. <laughs> <laughs> that would take sixty days, probably. <laughs> yeah, that'll be it. Like, give me a machete. Like, I'll definitely swim ashore with that from the from the shipwreck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, second one is: what is one place top of your travel list which you haven't been to yet? Oh, one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, I've got uh, I've, the itching desire is is I'd like to go to one of the stands uh, and do some climbing in certain areas that haven't haven't been climbed before, haven't been explored because of the remoteness. And and linking into that, Mongolia has a big draw for me. Um, I definitely would like to go to Mongolia. Um, but I, I would also like to go to, to Japan has been something that has been one of those things. You know, I did a lot of judo and martial arts and stuff when I was younger. And, and I've always been sort of fascinated by Japan. Mm. Um, and I would like to go and spend time. I'm, sorry, I'm, sitting there, I'm sitting here next to a globe. I'm just going to spin the globe around a couple yeah. of times. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not, not. It's a very old globe. So it actually politically is not right. Um, but yeah, definitely... Um, Definitely, Japan was is somewhere I'd like to go and explore. I just watched a brilliant Netflix series on on the um, on the samurai and how they uh, you know the, the fight to unify Japan uh, in the 15, 14, 1500s. And um, yeah, they're fascinated by that by Japan and, and, uh, and this. But I definitely like to go. But I'd like to go back to Nepal. Nepal is somewhere that's that has a draw. I've only only been there once, but Nepal draws. Yeah, absolutely. People are going to be confused when I'm asking the wrap-up questions. There's still two hours after the podcast. And it's just us going through the globe. <laughs> yeah, going through the globe. Well, though saying that, who knows what the world's going to look like um, and what's even going to be available. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a whole other can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's part of that sort of navel-gazing of, was it, what, yeah, have I been doing the wrong thing for the last 25 years? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't predict one of these. So, and lastly... Where can we keep up to date with your adventures? Uh, so I have a website, um, james-dyer.org. Um, there's a page on there that I reasonably update. I don't think it's been updated for a year because nothing much has changed. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that uh, Instagram um, is the other one that I use a fair bit. That uh, you know to, to, to just do bits of usual stuff, I suppose, social media-wise. Um, but yeah, that's it. I, I, where where we go from here, I don't know. I'd like. I think 
it maybe it's an opportunity to concentrate on some personal expeditions again, um, and the commercial and the, uh, the sort of the leading ones. But maybe there's going to be a burgeoning of people who want to go and do something purposeful and worthwhile. You know, I've led a number of scientific based expeditions and I'd love to do those again with, with, with just members of the public who want to go and, you know, learn from scientists and spend time in remote places doing some science. Like we found a new species of worm three years oh, wow. ago on an expedition, you know, a parasitic worm uh, on an expedition that just had members of the public on it. Just, people with an interest in wildlife and bi biology and you know we had some scientists and they came and they learned and they helped out and did some really valuable research and i think that's that's a lovely one to, to do because you're doing something for a purpose yeah yeah precisely well, maybe they will ever come back yeah. i've got some personal things i want to want to do as well maybe some in the uk as well well listen james thank you so much for coming on to the podcast it's been a real pleasure no worries thank you very much for having me chris